verify distant secrets. Be careful no to perish, a question as your guide. What becomes the face of truth? Welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazzacco. Each episode of Drive Back the Night, we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we analyze it for the things that we like, that we dislike, the things that we learn about our beloved sci-fi universe of Andromeda. This week, we have episode 77, the... Sorry, give me a second. Let me let me compose myself. Okay. This week, episode seventy-seven. Th- oh, Ryan, I don't know if I can say this. Are you really? Yeah, I'm. I'm okay. having a really hard time with this word. This kind of surprises me because honestly, you're the more well-read of the two of us. Um, so I'll help you out. It's no problem. Stratagem. Nope, that's not the word I'm having a problem with. It's the one immediately before stratagem. You mean spiders? Oh God! Yeah, that's the one. Hey, you, can you can can you say the title, please? Uh, okay. The spiders stratagem. Oh, all right. Now that that's over with, let's get into this particular episode. How about some trivia? <laughs> trivia for the arachnids stratagem, um, written by Emily Skopov. Previous to this episode, she was fully credited for Pitiless as the Sun and The Right Horse. So it's good to see her work again in Andromeda. But this is the final script in which she will get full credit for. It was directed by Brad Turner. We last saw his work as a director in Soon the Nearing Vortex from this season. Prior to that, we saw him uh, as, as the in the director's seat for Q.A. Bono. Remember that one? Yeah. You Bono. Yeah, there we are. And he will be back for at least one more episode in season five as director. Now, our guest actors for this episode. Michael Tomlinson. He plays the emissary. He had a respectable career in guest roles in television, appearing in the early 90s in such shows as Matlock and L.A. Law. Later, he would appear in standbys like The Outer Limits and Smallville. John Cassini, he plays Moldar. He's another actor with a long list of credits, mostly, though, favoring the, let's just say, strong family man type roles. In genre, though, he's appeared in such shows as Fringe and Van Helsing, and he also played Marco in the series Continuum. For the character Kavava, we have Christine Chatelaine as uh, the actress that we see uh, as that character. She had a very busy career, has had a very busy career since the late 90s in film and television. She appeared firstly in the film Final Destination, uh, later in such series as The Dead Zone, The Collector, Smallville, Fringe, and most recently she made an appearance on the most recent Batwoman series. Also helping out with the Kavava character is the return of Janice Jod. Now you'll remember We've talked about Janice Jod before in previous episodes uh, because we discussed her prolific career as a voice actor. However, in Andromeda, you'll remember that she was the voice beginning uh, with the pilot episode of Refractions of Dawn and has since played many other character voices uh, throughout this series. She voices the less attractive version of Kavava that we'll see later in this episode. And then finally, we have Nia Peoples. She plays Rox Nava. She has been on everything from soap operas to music television starting very early in the 1980s, early in her career. Um, she played Scarpelli 
in the 1989 sci-fi thriller Deep Star 6. And more recently, she has had roles on series like Lawnmire and the TV movie Lava Lantula. She currently has several projects in post and pre-production. And that is our trivia for this episode, which I will Very not nice. say the name of. The Spiders Stratagem. There you go. That's the episode we're talking about. Ryan, how about you give us a summary for the Spiders Stratagem? All right. Here is a brief summary of the Spiders Stratagem. In the Spiders Stratagem, we have... <laughs> We begin aboard the Andromeda, where Dylan is meeting with the emissary of Viceroy Moldar, a known weapon smuggler, as they work towards arranging a meeting. Rami detects a cargo ship leaving the system. Suspecting it to be smuggling weapons, Dylan orders chase. They catch up to it and discover it is being piloted by wanted criminal and smuggler Rox Nava. Upon further investigation, they find that she is smuggling a type of biological armor. Gross. She doesn't know where it comes from, only where it's going. Dylan sends Becca and Rade to complete the delivery as Dylan recruits Rox to help him play Moldar. After his initial show of strength crumbles, he reveals the location of the armor's origin. Meanwhile, en route to a Tolpai Drift, Becca goes to check out the armor up close when it acts on its own and attaches itself to Becca and seems to sort of take over her body. Dylan and Rox go to the location provided by Moldar and finds a lone tall tower. Dylan goes up by himself and finds a young woman named Kavava all alone with a spinning wheel and what looks like some kind of yarn coming out from her fingertips. She is the one making all of the armor, but fears the return of the old woman. It's all just like an old veteran fairy tale that Dylan knew as a child. Dylan rescues Kavava from the tall tower and takes her back to the Andromeda. Back on the Maru, Rade gets, Rade gets suspicious of Becca as he, con, as he is convinced that a suit was missing. She attacks him. Back on the Andromeda, Dylan shows Kavava the cargo hold where all the armor is being stored in the cold to slow its metabolism. She gets upset at the prospect that this is the future of her children, as she calls the armor. She then transforms into the old woman and begins trying to attack Dylan, while at the same time Becca is getting the upper hand on Rade back on the Maru. Dylan orders Andromeda to quick-freeze the cargo bay with Kavava inside, and simultaneously the armor loses its hold on Becca, and she comes to her senses just before dealing the lethal blow to Rade. Once back on board the Andromeda, Becca airs her grievances to Dylan that after all this time, he still doesn't seem to totally trust her. As for Nava, well, she's pretty, and she did do one good act after being captured and forced with threat of imprisonment. So all is forgiven, and Dylan is going to spend the next two, three, six hours letting her thank him. Ugh. The end. Ryan, you seem to react to that last bit of the summary uh, much the same way I react to, um, you know, eight-legged creatures. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that <laughs> let's just start there. Okay. Um, wow. We got a total Captain Kirk moment out of this. Yeah, we sure did. Yeah. We haven't seen that in a little while. What was it overplayed? I don't think it's necessarily overplayed, but I think it was a little overacted. Um, you don't think it was overplayed? I think it was a little overacted. I, I don't yeah. think this is necessarily, I, I'm, you know, we, we've, the last time we really talked about a, a gross moment with Dylan and a, a, a female interest that he might have was, uh, what was the one where they were on the, the, the old ice castle, um, where the ice princess was, I forget the name of that episode now. Frozen? <laughs> no. No, not frozen. Um, not, not, not Elsa. Um, yeah, you know where every all the rest of the crew were held captive. Dylan was held down by the uh, feather boa re, uh, thing around his neck uh, on the 
yeah you know what i'm talking about right yeah <laughs> i forget the name yeah. of that episode no this i don't terrible. remember the name of the episode either but i because we didn't really care for the episode because right. of that because, because of, of that, that very moment thing. yes yeah uh this was you know less egregious um it was less ma- rapey <laughs> and that's the point yes okay there you go that that's my point a little overacted but but this is something they haven't overplayed and i applaud them for that well i mean overacted overplayed overwritten really yeah yeah i mean because it was from the moment she appears on the view screen it's we're going to play this for sexual tension yes yeah uh they telegraph that through all 45 minutes of the show yeah yeah you could feel it even in the scenes that they weren't in yes (laughs) it was that strong yeah Mm -hmm. you're right you're right uh you know what since you already broke star trek then i'm gonna go ahead and do this I don't know about you, but when Kavava revealed her true self, my very first thought was, it's the man trap monster. <laughs> yeah, long snout, ooh, yeah. with a, with a uh-huh. ooh at the end. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. It's like, I hope there's no salt around. Cause, yeah, yeah. Salt, salt monster or sni- uh, sliced noodles, uh, one or the <laughs> other. You know, just, yeah. you know, whatever your preference is. Uh, mixing genres, there you go. Yeah. Um, so I, I've got a timestamp observation. Okay. At six minutes, 40 seconds, the emissary, uh, for Moldar, uh, he's, they're in the hallway. Dylan is basically dismissing them. Uh, the emissary is upset and I don't know what he's trying to do. He's, he's standing there and making like, almost like ceremonial dance moves as he's, making his exit i don't know if there was something else that was filmed there and they just overdubbed it (laughs) or what but if you go back to six minutes 40 seconds and this is more for the listener um i would love to hear from y'all what do you think's going on there what is the emissary actually trying to do as he is exiting getting ready to exit out of off the screen back down the corridor uh, just, just something I noticed there, and I, I don't even have a funny. Uh, let's let's make this our headcanon thing with this. So, that's your homework, listener. Uh, take a look at that and uh, tell me what you see. <laughs> you can you can email it to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail dot com. You mean sort of like a uh, like in A New Hope when Darth Vader is gesturing even though he's not saying anything. That opening conference exactly. meeting. Yes, yeah. I know that scene. And uh-huh. yeah, yeah, exactly. Something else was recorded there, and now it's overdubbed. But there's still motion going with the old scene. Yeah, that's okay. that's exactly what this seemed like to me. Okay. I did not catch that. Um, <clears throat> but something that I did catch is that uh, even with... I don't know what Dylan has got going on in this episode, because his game is, is not good. As far as, yeah, I'm going back to the whole rocks thing. All right. Because, I mean, these are his pickup lines. Um, you're a heavy worlder. I, I know you're a heavy worlder because um, I had you weighed had in the you. shower. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of layers to pick apart on this one here. So let's just go ahead and peel back the first one. He, does he weigh everyone in the shower? Oh, man. Um What's her name from Lava and Rockets? I don't think would be happy with that. No, I don't think so. Either. Yeah, no, no. Um, this and is, you know, we might need to have an intervention for Dylan because I think he's overstepping his boundaries just a little bit. Right, right. And not to get too far away from this, but I did think you know he probably should have weighed Kavava before their uh, descent because what I really wanted him to say this is a deep cut what I really wanted him to say at the end of that was you weigh a little more than 108 <laughs> I know this is referencing Maybe. something but I'm not recalling it to mind okay all explain right. you're gonna have to explain the joke all right um, to those of you out there who got that thank you so much for the rest of you you're gonna know as soon as I review it was from Batman mm. the 1989 Batman he's Yes. Yeah. Repelling yes. down with Kim, with uh, Vicky Vale. And, Vicky Vale, yep. Yeah. You Kim Basinger. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, okay, so this brings up some more questions, though. 
So yeah, I'm not done. Let's peel back another a layer here. Um, I know that you're a heavy worlder because I had you weighed in the shower. So do we learn something about our universe here? I think we do. Are, yeah. Are heavy worlders more massive? Uh, Just uh, in general? More massive bone structure. So they do weigh more. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've got heavier frames, more mass, more marrow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The thicker okay. bones. All right. And therefore weigh more okay. in normal normal grab environments. All right. So then this still, we circle back around. This is no way to compliment a lady. No. Definitely not. It's a good thing she was playing easy. Yeah. From the get-go. Mm-hmm. Because he almost ruined it for himself. I mean, he would have ruined it for any other Had it woman. been anyone else, yeah. Heavy world or not. What if she thank, wasn't a heavy world? Thank goodness for lonely freighter captains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what if he had said that and she was not a heavy worlder? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm like, actually I know, pregnant. I know you're... I know you're <laughs> No, you're a heavy worlder. What? Yeah. Yeah, that would not have gone over well. <laughs> um, I had an observation. Did it not look like the cargo supervisor maybe need to, might need to have a talking to about her attitude at work? I mean, this is before the even the attitude comment. Mm-hmm. But did she not look like she was just absolutely bored to death? In her role, oh, yeah, as she was totally playing Candy Crush. I mean, she was not. <laughs> well, it was like head in her hands, like bent yeah. over, sitting on a cargo uh, container. Um, yeah, this is this is not a person that's enjoying their job. Um, right. Some her supervise her supervisor, which would would be Dylan or Becca, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they really need to have mm-hmm. a sit down with her and say, "Look, where do you see yourself in another year or two years?" Mm-hmm. And right. maybe we need to put you on a different track. Right. Well, what they'll, they'll, the first thing they'll say is, uh, excuse me, what's your name? Never mind. Don't care. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Yes, correct. Because that then, is her credited name is, right? Uh, yeah. Cargo supervisor? Cargo supervisor, exactly. Okay. You know, right. uh, so, so when Dylan says, well, that's, that's exhibiting a bit of attitude, well, yeah. Yeah, someone that hates their job would exhibit a bit of attitude. I don't think that's necessarily, I mean, it's, it is a red flag, but it doesn't seem like it would be necessarily out of line if it's someone that needs attention in their job. They, they need to be moved somewhere else or they need to be advised that, uh, you know, they need to, to shape up a little bit. Yeah, um, I'll say in, in cargo supervisor's defense, this is... This is the part that we saw. They didn't see any of this. They just saw after she had lost control. True. Then she was getting snippy because of the because of the body armor. Well, we saw it. Rami saw it also because she has full recordings. Yeah. As we have already established. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> Un- unless it's essential to the plot that she doesn't get the recording or if someone does something very, very ingenious like Rox did in this episode where she smeared her gruel all over the camera. Was Which brings me to my next onion of points. An excellent segue, <laughs> sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. So first of all, my first question is, um, is there only one security camera in the brig? Apparently. Okay. Um, second question. And it's inside the cell with her where she can tamper with it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, <clears throat> so she's successful in, in foiling this one security camera right there at her fingertips. And why did she do that? Yeah, you got me there. Oh, okay. So <laughs> nothing else happened with nothing that. Nothing else happened with that. All right. All right. Because I was that thinking, was just, you know. It was to let us know she's defiant, I think. Yeah. Okay. I think we knew that already. I think I mean, we already got that point. Yeah. I yeah. Think, yeah. So ultimately is, smearing just, her marshmallow mash, whatever that was, yeah. did nothing whatsoever. Well, it was disappointing is what it was because it made you think, oh, she's up to something. Yeah. She's going to figure out a way out of this because she is so clever, mm-hmm. right? We've already established that. She gets out of things. Yeah. 
because she's so clever. So this is the setup for for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're not we're not going to get to see it, right? right, right. Or Rami's she's, not going to get to see it, yeah, but we're going be to. Prisoner yeah. escape. Uh-oh. Oh, and there the she alarm. is running down the hallway. Yeah. Ooh, no, she no, no she didn't no, do anything with that. Nothing like that at all. Yeah. And <laughs> Dylan didn't even mention it, you know, when he comes in to have her meeting, he'd be like, "And by the way, come on. The, the, Come on, your mashed potatoes on the camera? That's the only one we've gotten here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally useless and pointless. Someone's going to have to clean that now. Yeah. Brig Cleaner is going to have to clean that. Yeah. Because that's that crewman's name, I'm Brig, sure. Brig Cleaner supervisor or his lackey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the supervisor's not going to clean it. No. No. I, that's why I said, or his lackey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm leaving for an sure. option. Mm-hmm. All right. I got another timestamp for you. All right. 3204. Uh-huh. I texted you last week about this. Yes, you did. So you know and what's I, coming. And I had not watched it yet when you texted right. me at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my mind when I saw at 3204. Say that, say that, say that again. I lost my mind. No, no, no. The, the timestamp. 3204. 04? I thought it was 02. It could. Well, okay. I might have said 32. 202 before I've, I've watched it in two different formats so there may be a little bit of a time discrepancy from what i wrote oh, down okay here. okay so i have it at 3204 it's very shortly after 32 minutes there is a pickup truck driving on the levee of the lake that they are recording at at on location during the fight and i just want to say uh on that planet maybe trucks exist but I just want nothing to point out the fact. Nothing else seems to. Nothing else seems to, exactly. <laughs> other than Rapunzel's Tower uh-huh. and Henchman. But there is a truck driving on the levee of the lake in the background while they're recording an episode of Andromeda somewhere in British Columbia. And I, I am both laughing because that's got to be an obvious gaffe, but it's also awesome that it's just there. <laughs> I mean, that is... That is better than having the IBM logo posted on all the computer monitors. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. So uh, for you listener, there's you another homework assignment. We're, we're chock yeah. full of them for this episode. I know it. Go back and to it's 30. quick. You got to have it a is. quick eye for yeah, this one. You do. It's about two yeah. seconds, maybe a screen time. Maybe well, that if much. that if, if that. even that. Yeah. But it's enough to see it bouncing along. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Yeah, you know, we've talked before about how some things survive well into the future, into our Andromeda universe. And I'm just so glad that there are even some really dumb expressions that make it that far. Things like, um, the present is a very special gift. (laughs) You know, I heard him say that, but I didn't, it didn't register yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know the, the scene past. where he where, where Rade and Becca are talking on the Maru. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the great. past is the past, the future is yet to come, but the present is just that. A gift. A gift. Yeah, wrapped yeah. something wrapped for and it was something wrapped stupid for and us corny. to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, here's a few things. All <laughs> right. So this is a Nietzschean expression, the way he presents this, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. this is what the Nietzscheans say. All right, so the Nietzscheans stole that from humans, first of all. Kluges, I should say, because Nietzscheans well, are humans. But Nietzscheans stole their DNA from humans, too, so why not? Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, so it's not, it's unfair to call it a Nietzschean expression. Kluges were the ones that were dumb enough to come up with that. <laughs> and shame Here's on the, the Nietzscheans for carrying it forward. Yeah, really. You would think they would breed something like that out. Like did, they're like, "What did you just say? You don't get to 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 spread your DNA anymore." So, so do Nietzscheans, being the perfected humanity, um, do they tell dad jokes? I guess we uh, have to conclude that they do if they're telling stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they really do. There's something else we've learned about our universe. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's a matter of pride for them. Mm. Shame on Ryan. No? You don't like that? No good? (laughs) Uh, The last thing I've got here is with the sounds that Becca was making while pressing on Rade's chest at the conclusion of their little battle together, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I happened to watch it with headphones on, so I could very distinctly hear the sound effects that were being used. I'm pretty sure that he's got at least several broken ribs, if not some internal bleeding going on. Because that was quite the crushing, crunching, uh, gurgling sounds that were taking place. And I'm a little shocked that he was able to just get right, get up right after that. I agree. That's, uh, that's adrenaline at work right there. Because he went straight to med deck. We didn't see him after they got back to the Andromeda. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's okay. because uh, wherever Trance was this episode, she decided to, to to work on him. Yeah, no Trance at all. For, for right now. No. No, no Trance. Very little Harper. Just enough for him to be creepy. Right at the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, Ryan, that's our, uh, that's our observations of the episode. Let's get down to the nitty gritty and talk about the things that we have actually learned. Some of it we've actually discussed a little bit here already. But what are some other things that we have learned about the Andromeda universe from this episode? Well, we learned that sometimes fairy tales are true. That was a theme. Yes. Mm hmm. Um, I do have some questions about this fairy tale that Dylan talks about. He says it's a veteran fairy tale. And pretty much everything that we see unfold in this episode is pretty much right down to the letter what he heard as a child. So this fairy tale clearly is, it sprung forth from this reality. From this particular situation that we saw. Yes, this is, this is, this is a thing that, this is an actual thing. Yeah. The story gets out and it becomes a veteran fairy tale. Yeah. So apparently this has been going on for quite some time because let's not forget that Dylan is well over 300 years old by now. Right. How long has this been going on and why doesn't everybody know about it? Yeah. Um, why is it limited to being a veteran fairy tale? Why is it not one of these more global it, well, I guess universal is more. The only thing I can come up with is the veterans were aware of this and somehow kept wraps on it. And then once the Commonwealth fell 300 years prior, then it was basically fair game. And so at whatever point Moldar takes over the operation, that's when he starts really commercializing it and it starts to spread. Um, But maybe we're catching it early enough to where it's not a, it's not something that's galaxies wide that's affecting, you know, the balance of power, except that Dylan is in the midst of a civil war. One of the chief figures of the side that he's on. And yet he's doing a policing action in this case, taking out a, we didn't really get a sense of Moldar's effect other than it was substantial enough that Dylan was getting involved. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he finds out, Oh, this is linked back to this veteran fairy tale. Um, it's very, I don't know if I'm getting too much into how I felt about this episode, but the, the, the resolution of this fairy tale and how it's been translated into a very real thing in this, in this galaxy um, is kind of unsatisfying in its conclusion. Don't you think? Actually, one of my notes here is that I want to know more about the history of this myth. What what are the origins of the old lady? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Where'd she come from? Why, mm -hmm. why is she in the tower? Um, you know, this was is, a blend of Rapunzel and Sleeping Beauty, really. Mm-hmm. And for what purpose? And Rumblestiltskin. And Rumblestiltskin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for, so what's the purpose of it? Why, why the lore? And, and the man trap. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there, because she says that these, these body armor suits that she has created, she refers to them as her children. So is this her species' way of... Of procreating are they able because they're her progeny apparently so do they are they sentient do become do they become sentient 
Do they become like her? Is she the first of this kind? I mean, she's old now. Or <clears throat> what we what we saw happen was the armor basically fuses to the host, right? So eventually, does it change the host to the point where it looks like what the old lady looked like? The spider woman or whatever she was? Yeah. I mean, is, is that how is that what you're talking about? Is that the type of procreation you're alluding to? Yeah. Okay. So whether it's the suits or if it's the hosts of the suits, either way, is this her way of of continuing her species, continuing her line? Or is she the first and only of this kind? Or is she just one of many in a long line? Yeah. And maybe she's the last one. I don't know. See, because we really don't know anything about her as an individual, as a species, as a myth, other than just that this is what we have right now and she's giving us these body armor suits. But why? What's in it for her? Does she have um, some sort of like a, a dual personality? Because she seems to separate the young Kavava with the old woman. Right, she's afraid of the old woman, mm-hmm. or so she says. But then, when it's revealed to her that they're all being kept in this state, um, then she loses it and then transforms into the old woman. Yeah. So, so I still don't know at this point if she, if the young Kavava and the old woman are one and the same, or if there is a duality. Like, if there is actually a split in her mind, if there is a partition in her mind, so to speak. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, like I said, going back to what I said earlier about the resolution of this, while not being much of a resolution and not getting a whole lot of detail, uh, essentially what we get is a lot of things happening that are actually pretty cool concepts, but there's nothing that really explains why it's happening. You know, it's not enough sigh, uh, just a lot of fantastic storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I hear you. I want more of what's the motivation? Why is this happening? And it's just not there. Mm-hmm. It's just it's happening and we react to it. And that's ultimately what Dylan spins up, spends most of the time doing is reacting to whatever Kavava is, is throwing at him at the moment, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, ultimately, we don't get any answers at the end of the show, except to know that, you know, whatever she is and whatever her motivation is and whatever her children are, they're now frozen in the hold of Andromeda. Yeah. Um, And you know what? I think there's even more to explore there, because if we don't know how long she's been doing this, like this, is this the first production run of these armors, of these armor suits? I, I don't know. Don't did know. we get that? Did we get that answer? If not, then how did Moldar know that this was available? How did well, he know that this was an option? It, it sounded in the storytelling early on that Moldar has built his, his uh, whatever financial empire he has, his power base is built off of selling this armor and quite possibly guns and weapons as well. So it has at least been on the market for a, sh- a little a little while. So okay. much so that it, it has now gotten Dylan's attention. So he's addressing it. Okay. But they don't know what it is. They don't have any idea that it's a biological armor. They think they're smuggling weapons still. Yeah. Yeah. So who has he been selling it to and what has been the result for those armies that he's been selling it to? You know, right. Are there any... Uh, side effects that you know they're having to deal with yeah we don't get any of that we don't really know because we're not told yeah and it's interesting because we see what it did to becca we see well we don't see we hear about how it affected the cargo supervisor right yeah yeah. it it definitely it it messes with you it takes over in some sort of a way like it still allows you to have your own sense of individuality but it also kind of controls you Mm mm-hmm so if and, okay. if they're selling and, this, what what 
I guess what I want to know is if they're selling this and they're creating super soldiers out of it, then are these soldiers going out and being able to follow the commands of their commanders and do what they're supposed to do for their missions? Or is this armor taking over them to do its own bidding? Now they're very powerful and it kind of can work with the people that are in charge, but ultimately they're also going to kind of do their own thing. Yeah, because we get the the information there at the end that the armor was telekinetically linked um, in, a, in such a way that it defied space and time, right? Mm -hmm. So there was this permanent telekinetic link to the queen or mother or whatever she was for the armor. And for what purpose? And, and this feeds into what you're talking about. You know, yeah, it, they it allows the hosts to act autonomously. Well, really? You know, what's the end game? You know, mm -hmm. does the queen mother get enough of the, these armor, this armor out there? And then suddenly she says, okay, my flying monkeys take over the galaxy. You know, is, is that, was that, was that what was going on? Well, we don't know. Yeah. I'd like to think it was something diabolical like that, but well, we don't know. Well, it just, it seems like it's too easy to spot though, too, because if this stuff was just lying dormant and just acting purely as an armor until it's time to act, then we don't have Becca acting in secrecy and, and sneaking around. We don't have the cargo supervisor tampering with video evidence and surveillance and, and the ship's records, right? All that which, stuff which, was lost during that time. Which, how does Rami not understand? How does she not know? <laughs> I mean, okay. Well, we didn't red, see... Red we flag. Didn't see, Dylan, yeah. the supervisor has just deleted information out of my database. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm... Well, no, but it's okay because we here is a precedent set in the show. Maybe this all ties it all together. That's why we have some things we don't understand. We don't know if maybe she had a plate of mashed potatoes down there, and she smeared it all over the single oh, security yeah. camera. That's right. So yeah, it, Rami wouldn't have seen proof. that. Yeah, you're yeah. right. No, totally. I totally am okay. on board with that. <laughs> So, okay, so let's take this let's take this further now. We see what happens when Kavava is uh let's say neutralized. Okay. Put on ice. Yeah, sure. Um it breaks its hold on on Becca. Yes. And so that's just the one that we see. So I think we're also given to assume that it breaks its hold on all those that are under control of this body armor, which apparently there must be hundreds of them out there, if not more. Yes. So that means all of these individuals out there that have been acting under the influence of this body armor, they've all just suddenly Woke awaken yeah. and and are wondering what what in the world has been going on. Even if they understand what it was and they know that they weren't in full control of themselves, what sort of havoc may this have have wreaked on people's lives things that they have done because of being under the control of this they can't explain that to anybody now yeah this isn't this isn't going out on the national news by the way everyone who put on this armor uh you may have done some things that you shouldn't have done but it's okay yeah we do get one little throwaway line that kind of indicates what this queen alien mother spider woman whatever she is what her motivation is okay. and there there was a line that she was motivated to sow chaos was that the goal uh -huh. was that it to just create problems to to be contrary because <sighs> if that is if that's it then okay that's pretty weak sauce <laughs> <laughs> yeah Anyway, so we learn a little bit about the living armor and the queen, whatever she is, but not much. So that's that was one thing I, I had. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of those points written down, too. So I think we've covered okay. those pretty well. Um, <clears throat> the Civil War. Well, well, hold on. Okay. I have one one last question for our salt monster here. <laughs> OK, what happens to her now? Because the last thing that we see is he quick freezes the cargo bay. So, 
does that instant quick freeze does that does that kill her is she dead or is she going to be frozen forever or is she going to be killed is she going to be arrested what what, what happens now she is she is still alive but incapable of affecting the current storyline until the writers decide to bring her back like they eventually will with the consensus of parts. Oh, okay. There you go. All right. She, for all intents and purposes, is dead, but not really. So they could bring her back if they wanted to. So she's mostly dead, would you say? Mostly dead, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Go on with your Civil War. Civil War. So what's going on with the Civil War? Why is Dylan stopping an arms dealer instead of being on the front lines fighting the collectors? I'm just wondering. The whole episode, that's what I'm wondering. Uh, yeah. Well, I think this is just a a placeholder episode. It could have been anywhere between season two and now. <laughs> yes, it could have been. You know? I mean, yeah. it's not necessarily no, that no, every because Rade's episode... there. Oh yeah, so it, it does slot into a specific time frame. Yeah, well then it could have been it could have been pre collapse. Could we say with a different well, Rade? No, because they do mention a, a civil war. Mm-hmm. They it is okay. mentioned. Yeah, it's just this seems like an odd place for Dylan to be spending his time. I think maybe we missed the first act. Is what's going on because. It just seems like there are so many of these episodes where Dylan just kind of finds himself in the very best place that he needs to be at that moment in order to prevent some sort of catastrophe. So whether it's an accidental spill out of slipstream, um, you know, whatever it is, he's here, he's here now, and there's this thing they got to deal with. I don't know. Maybe he's on orders. Maybe, maybe he is. Moldar is supplying weapons to the other side. Maybe he is working with the collectors and those working with that side, and they've got intel about that, and so they need to put a stop to that. Okay, but but we didn't see any of that. No, no, we didn't. Yeah, we just know he's there now. Yeah. And he's going to deal with it. Yeah. That's the long so, and the short of it. So, well, yeah. Okay. And I also didn't really understand why, as soon as they saw uh, Rox Nava's ship, they just said, oh, there's a ship. We need to go chase it down and find out what they're carrying. We're not going to find any contraband on, on here, are we? We know we are. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I do I do have a question. We talked earlier about the heavy worlders, right? And we find out that that Rox is a heavy worlder, just like Dylan is. So my question is once a heavy worlder, always a heavy worlder? Yeah. Is that something that stays with you forever? We're, we're talking about what makes you a heavy worlder. Oh, well, you got heavier bones, uh, denser bone, bone structure, right? Well, as as science, real world science has proven, you go into space and you take yourself out of gravity, you lose bone structure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, yeah. are they? Ta- is Dylan taking injections to maintain that? constant mass you know uh he would you would think he would almost have to just because of the way the human body works right yeah hmm. I, I didn't have a ton on that but there was just it was because we we visited this a few times before about dylan being a heavy worlder yeah. how that makes him so much stronger and okay but like you just said real world doesn't really work like that Maybe in his quarters, when no one's in there with him, he just cranks up the gravity and just mm. parades around the room and, you know, like three times Earth gravity and maintains that structure. Right. It's probably more comfortable for him. Yeah. It yeah. would have to be. Yeah. 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 Kind of like somebody who comes from a really hot world. Yeah. Like they can they can tolerate it out with the rest of the crew. But when they go to their quarters, man, that <laughs> furnace is cranked up. <laughs> yeah. To 117. Yeah. Exactly. 
Okay. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about was Becca. All right. Did this come out of left field for you? Because it kind of yeah. did for me. Yeah. So what's going on here? What was she really mad at? Is she mad at Rade? And she's just lashing out at Dylan because Dylan's the one that brought him into the crew? Well, have you noticed Becca and Rade having any kind of problem before this, really? They, I mean... They they bickered. Yeah. But it wasn't like kind a of serious this, problem. Even we've talked about, okay, who's really second in command here? Yeah. Right? Um, but it just, yeah, it seemed like it, this was a whole nother level. Yeah. And honestly, it was all coming from Becca. Exactly. Yeah. So the thing happens with Becca and Rade and okay. Part of that was not her fault, but she was already acting up before the suit ever got to her. She was salty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Becca before the suit absorbed or, or, or she absorbed the suit that Becca has kind of always been around. She gets, she walks around with a chip on her shoulder. Right. Yeah. We, we've always acknowledged that. And Dylan has always given her her space to be that person. It wasn't until after the suit that she did anything wrong. And yeah, anybody looking at the situation would chalk it up to, okay, the suit inf- had an influence on her. And so you chalk it up to that and, and no harm, no foul, you know, resume your post and we go about our business. But no, she seems to be carrying that attitude still. And I don't fully understand why. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand either to why she says that she doesn't know why she put the suit on. She can't explain it. She, but, but that's not what I saw. She didn't choose no, she, to put the suit on for it some reason. It looked like she was just checking it out. Yeah. And it she, acted. Uh-huh. It and took she, over her. Yeah. So does, does she not remember that or do the writers not remember that? That's a good, that's an excellent question, because really, based on what we saw, and we're you know all, that's all we can go on here. Based on what we saw, the writers didn't really tell me <laughs> mm-hmm. what mo- Becca's motivation was after the suit went dormant. Right. Um. I don't know. Do you do you think that Dylan's question to her was unwarranted? Remind me again, what did he ask? You know, that's the thing. It it wasn't even really like he was sweating her down about no. it. No, it was just He's like, just hey, like, let's talk like, about hey, this. Is everything good? Yeah. What's what's going on, you know? And, and, and he he does ask the question. He says, is there a problem with someone in the crew? And mm-hmm. And that's when, at that moment, it felt like Becca should have said something about Rade's presence. What's his role? You know, mm-hmm. and in and, and that whole scene, if she wanted to blow up and and walk and storm out at that point, okay, that's fine. If that's how they wanted to play that, that would have made sense. But that's mm-hmm. not what happened. She says, well, I guess I have a problem with you. And I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. Because there's been nothing done here to indicate why you would have an issue with Dylan. Well, and I guess it depends on which way the finger is pointing, because she says, I guess you're the only one I have a problem with is you. When really what she means, I guess the only one who has a problem is you with me. Okay. That's, yeah. Because she's, she's, she's on the defensive because she feels like Dylan is coming at her and she doesn't understand why, because she's been through everything for him and with him. And now all of a sudden he doesn't trust her. And I'm like, that's not what he said. That's not exactly. I was going to say, if that's the, if that's the jump that she's going to make well she's wrong Mm -hmm. so this feels like becca flying off the handle just a little bit yeah i'm sure we're going to get some resolution to this later on yes i i don't know well i don't remember maybe maybe this is just hangover from the suit still maybe so will she remember this next episode tune in next week and see (laughs) exactly um you know, speaking of, I have a couple of other things about that trip between Becca and Rade. 
Um, so first of all, can you explain to me, because I think I may have missed it, why did Becca and Rade go on that mission to deliver the body armor? Uh, one word. Okay. Two syllables. Okay. Sorry, three syllables. Okay. MacGuffin. Okay. There's your answer. All right. No, All right. I, no, I, I'm totally with you because the second time I watched it, the first time I watched it, I don't, I don't think I paid close enough attention. I was sitting on the couch, and <clears throat> by the time we got to the end of it, I was still laughing over the pickup truck. Um, <laughs> no, the second time I watched it, and and I did, I had that question. They explained, Rade and Becca are going to go do the cargo run. Mm-hmm. My question was, why? Yeah, they've already intercepted it. Yeah. Why the why why are we're you, expecting it? What's going on here? Yeah. Now you just put more of this stuff out there. Yeah. Was it to try to build um faith with Moldar that hey, yeah, we're going to be partners in this. We're going to help you out. But he still he has no proof, no way to verify that they actually delivered it. Just tell him that they did. Yeah. Uh, unless unless cuz what we ended up seeing happening was I guess they sold all of that armor at a okay, deep so discount. Pause right there. What did you just say? Repeat that again. I, I they sold that armor. That's not what you said. What they sold all of that armor. That's what you said. Uh, you said of, they sold they sold all of that armor. Yes. Because they sold them 44 pieces of armor? Yes. Because they were one short because Becca was wearing it. Was wearing the 45th, yes. Yeah, but in the scan in Act 1, how many did they find on the ship? A hundred? A hundred. So there's yeah. still 55 unaccounted for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What in the world's going on? Becca's talking about a simple math mistake. That's a pretty big <laughs> math mistake. <laughs> you know what? I didn't even catch that from the beginning of the show to what they, the 44 that were sold. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Was that Man. part of the scam that that Becca was fast talking there at the at the when they were making the transaction That's, when they were making the deal? Yeah, I didn't fully because understand I, what was being negotiated there. Yeah, well, I'm not a criminal, so I don't get these kind of things. Uh, right, right. I I fall for these kind of things. So you know, I'm like, yeah, Becca, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. I I don't. But it sounded like she was selling that at a significant discount. Now, was that significant mm-hmm. discount because they weren't fully delivering 100 suits of armor? Maybe that's what was going on. Or mm-hmm. is Dylan purposefully tanking the market so that Moldar uh, loses his uh, power base, loses his wealth? I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't understand the business, the, what, the, what the transaction was accomplishing. I really didn't understand okay. any of that. It's like they just needed Becca and Ron and Rade to go to away be in on the Maru, Maru on their own. Yeah, that way they can be slip points away, so that this whole thing can this happen. fight can play out. And yeah, yeah, no, it it, and, it was and it contrived her even that far away. Yeah. Okay. Something interesting else. Uh, something interesting else. Something else interesting about slip points that we learn in this episode too. I think we've always kind of known this, but we don't ever see it. Here's one interesting thing that came from that concluding scene is that Dylan says they're six hours away from their slip point. Yeah. I think that's interesting because it seems like the majority of the time, nay, all of the time, when they need to jump, they just open a slip point and jump. And jump. That's how they're the gone. first season definitely went. There is no traveling from slip point yeah. to slip point. The first time we got an indication that you might be a long way from a slip point was um, the the Star Trek episode, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Or no, 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 the one with the, the monster. Wasn't it the one with the monster? Didn't they j- dump out in the system that was a long way from a jump point? And they encountered the big planet-eating, planet-eating monster, the Doomsday Machine, whatever that was? Yeah, yeah. That, that might have been. I'm, it's one of the, one of the other of those two episodes. I could have been. I was thinking it may have been the episode where they meet the generation ship. Mm. Yeah, could have been that. I one. don't know. Either way, anyway. we've seen this before. Where yeah. they they we do know we've established before but, but that sometimes they can be a long way away from a slip point, and sometimes it's right there. 
Or yeah. it seems like the ship can generate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. One last thing about Rade and Becca's trip. I just want to say uh, about Rade, he gave some uh, some pretty good life advice, actually, in this. Because he and Becca seem to be at odds for some reason. And she's like, oh, now you want to be friends? And he's like, well... You know, maybe if we talk a little bit and kind of figure out what we're about and tell some stories about our past, we can understand each other better, right? That's he what seems, he's trying to do. He seems to be pretty heavy on that. I mean, the last yeah. several episodes, he's been digging, you know, trying to draw mm-hmm. stuff out of her. Yeah. Um, I just want to say good on Rade because from personal experience, I know that this is 100% true. You can oftentimes think that you have nothing in common with another person. And I've been in situations before where I've been put with people and I'm like, I this is the worst thing that could have happened. <laughs> you spend some time talking to that person and actually genuinely getting to know that person. It can completely change your outlook on that person, their motivation, their background. And it it can truly draw you closer together. I know this is not a show where we often, you know, explore life advice and, and get mushy and sentimental. But Rade's on to something here. Yeah, I've experienced it. It's real. So I was gonna say we wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast if you wouldn't if you if we hadn't experienced that. Yeah. That is very right. that's a that's a true story. True statement. Yep. Very much so. Yep. Good on Roddy. Very good. Ryan. I hated you when I first met you. Oh, man. Well, I didn't know that. We'll have to talk <laughs> later. I kid, I kid. Ryan, let's uh, let's move on. Um, we have a quote. Do you have a quote for us? Yeah, I sure do. I believe you do. All right. Are you ready? Okay. want to make sure you're listening because this is a thinker. Okay. Verify distant secrets. Be careful not to perish. A question as you guide. What becomes the face of truth? Enigma number three of the Murtai, Commonwealth year 8567. Most of the time I read the quote and I have you go first. If you don't mind, I've actually been thinking about this one for a while. I've been thinking about this a lot. And so... Would it be all right with you if I went first? I have my own opinion, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, Okay. all right. So like I said, I've been thinking about this a lot. I feel very strongly about this. I want to hear what you think. Okay. Huh? And I counter with, what? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hey, it's Enigma 3, so. That tells you all you need to know right there. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's nonsensical. It's, I don't, it is, it, it is it's, very it's much, not I even, not, it's not even real sentences. Like, where's the punctuation yeah. here? Because it doesn't, it looked like a word jumble when I read it like multiple times. And I was like, I uh-huh. can't begin to wrap my head around this. <laughs> uh, if this was written by Emily Skopov, she is a unique individual. <laughs> That's all I got to say about this quote. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I, I don't have anything. And, it sounds like you don't have much either, so I'm really kind of screwed then because I, I can't come up with anything just hearing, just riffing off of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's honestly, that's why I usually like to let you go first. It's because sometimes you'll say something. I'm like, oh, you know what? We can do something with this. This gives me an idea. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's nothing I here. Was, I was confident that there was nothing. So <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing here. Okay. <laughs> oh, and, right. and here again, here's your third homework assignment, listener. If you're drawing something out of this quote, keep it to yourself. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> Send us an email if you got something because I'm stumped. Okay. Well, we have we have we have had our laughs, we have discussed the universe, we have considered I guess a quote here. Ryan, we get down to it. What are your final thoughts here on this episode, episode 77, the, go ahead and finish the sentence. Spiders. Stratagem. Yeah. Final thoughts. All right. 
Um, you know, it's interesting because a uh, a stratagem is uh, a very well concocted uh, plan, something that is just very well orchestrated, and something that is just a plan that just comes together, and it's just it's it's almost an artwork, really, in how well it comes together and in how beautiful it is. Um, this spider was no stratagem. You know, when I was on my way home from work this evening, uh, I had a long drive today. I was commuting. And so I put this on and I was listening the entire time I was driving. Just gave it one more run through. And what I was thinking was, I can't decide if this... I still can't decide if this is a bad episode or if I'm just not having fun. But I knew I was not having fun. Uh, and a lot of times, these conversations, you'll bring out something that I had not thought of, and it'll change my mind. Sometimes I'll watch an episode, and I'll think it's not so great, and you'll convince me that maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was. Um, I think after our discussion, I'm pretty confident I did not enjoy this episode, and I think the reason why is because it was a bad episode, is what I'm coming down to. I, I did not enjoy watching this at all, ever. I didn't really enjoy listening to it the last time. And I tried to not talk about it too much, but the whole thing between Rox and Dylan is like, why do we have to have this all the time? Why does our anti-hero villainous why does she always have to be just overly sexualized and and got to be playing off of dylan or dylan's playing off of her or something like that and in the end they end up getting together or maybe they don't but you always think that's a thing like i'm just you say we have a captain kirk at the beginning of this it's not really to me it's not a captain kirk it's just i don't know i don't know why we have to do this in, in in this culture that we live in today, I'm 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 not gonna try to get too sociopolitical here, but I don't know where I don't know what I'm supposed to think about this. <laughs> because is on one hand, is Rox a uh, a strong woman who knows what she wants and so she she takes what she wants, or is she just another pretty girl being sexualized on TV? Yeah. For our story. Who I, hurt Who hurt her because it's done some damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I say that honestly. I don't know what I'm supposed to think about this. Right. So, yeah. but, I, but my gut says I don't like it. I know, I know that much. I don't like it. Yeah. So. No, I hear you. Okay. Well, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, the the belly laugh came from the gaff in the background, you know, the pickup mm-hmm. truck. That was the most enjoyable part of this entire episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was good for about 30 seconds to talk about it. And then there's really not anything else. I mean, there's a lot here. I mean, honestly, this could be a really interesting episode with just a few tweaks. And I'll just run through some of the stuff that I thought of that might make this episode better. One, give us a few more details on exactly why Mulder's operation is so necessary to shut down. Give us a little more reason why Dylan and crew are there, right? Because there's a civil war happening, as we discussed. Why are they here? You know, something a little stronger there might have helped. Uh, Another thing, give us a little more about the fairy tale. That's what you talked about earlier. Why is it now playing out in reality? What does it mean? You know, that that's the big one, I feel like, and kind of central to this entire plot. Uh, if they had given us a little bit more lore that made it fit in the universe a little bit better instead of just being like shoved in like a wedge, um, it might have made this episode a bit more palatable. Uh, and the last thing I had is, come on, less time with fisticuffs and actually tell a full story. Right. So much of this episode was fighting. For what purpose? 
I mean, a lot of times it was just, it's fighting, it's action for action's sake. And I know we've beat that horse in season three a lot. And here we're seeing it coming up again. And yeah, just take the time to tell a full story. And this becomes a a better episode. I'm not going to say much better, but I will say it would have been a better episode. And yeah, to what you spoke of there at the end, uh, why can't Dylan date nice women? (laughs) You know, come on, throw the guy a bone. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. This was uh, not terribly good at all. It was not good. And, and I, I awarded no points, and may God have mercy on his soul. We, we are all now dumber having watched Forever it. having watched it, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I thought about it. All right, that's what you thought. That's what I thought. Listeners, what did you think? And also, do you have answers to our questions that we have asked throughout this episode? Did you do your homework? Let us know what you find out and what you think. Ethan, if someone were so inclined to do so, how might they do that? Well, they can send us an email at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. And they can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can send us a message there or follow and like us. And then we are at Andromeda Pod on both of those locations. We're also on Podbean, where every episode of Drive Back the Night is still listed. That's andromedaseries.podbean.com, where we also, just as a reminder, we do have a tip jar there if you should feel so inclined to give us some help. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating and review. That helps other Andromeda fans to find the show. And uh, look around on your favorite podcatcher. And if they allow you to leave a review or ratings, we certainly appreciate that as well. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for lending us his voice at the beginning of this episode for the opening quote. We are an Age of Geek production. And we hope that you will join us here again next time as we cover episode number 78, The Warmth of an Invisible Light. 